Hello, this is Tom Salta, and you're listening to Pixelated Audio, episode 149. Welcome to Pixelated Audio, a podcast focusing on game audio, its history, and the people behind it. We're your hosts. I'm Brian, and this is Gene, and we've got a special guest joining us to talk about his impressive career in game audio, Tom Salta. Yes, Tom has had a decades-long career spanning TV, film, music, trailers, games, and has even worked on tracks with Cher and Peter Gabriel. Naturally, we're going to be focusing mostly on Tom's career in video games, and he has some truly impressive credits. Tom, it is a pleasure to have you on. Welcome to the show. Great to be here, guys. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited. So, yeah, Tom has worked on some really well-known franchises like Red Steel, Tom Clancy's Ghost Recon, and Hawks, Prince of Persia, and the Halo Master Chief Collection, uh, other things like Just Dance, and more recently, Wolfenstein and Player Unknown Battlegrounds. Taking a step back in time, though, the track that brought us in was Two Days or Die from Atlas Plug. Ah. Tell us about this track that brought us in. Oh, boy. There's a really rich backstory to that one. Uh, Just the title itself, that's the title song of the album, and that was released in 2003. That was right uh, on the precipice of me transitioning from 
uh, the pop music industry into the video game music industry. And it was a very tumultuous time, uh, very tough transition, very kind of a desperate sort of feeling in the air because I was, um, you know, I'm married, I have a new mortgage, I have a new baby. Uh, and the industry, the music industry, just started to tank. Well, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? What I mean is in 2001, the music industry started to suffer from the music piracy that was uh, due to this new thing called high-speed internet. So the invention of Napster and LimeWire uh, started making it easy for everybody, myself included, to just download music for free and stop buying it. Right. You know, yeah. prior to that, you went to a record store or a CD store and you bought music. All right. So that that just kind of like stopped almost entirely. And it took a genius like Steve Jobs to figure out how to monetize this tendency of people to want to just, you know, listen to something really quick and easy, just that one song they wanted. So he figured out a way to make it more convenient to actually pay 99 cents for a single track than to steal it. And that was called iTunes. Anyway, so <laughs> when I started reading between the lines and reading the tea leaves and reading anything I could and figured out that, uh-oh, <laughs> I better come up with another plan fast because if that doesn't work out, I'm doomed. And that was the meaning behind the album and the song Two Days or Die. So I literally, for that song, gave myself two days to put that track together, to create it from scratch. And that I actually did. I mixed it on the third day, but <laughs> two days was that track, two days or die. And that was the biggest success on the record. Awesome. That's what pretty much launched Atlas plug. It's, it's what caught uh, Microsoft uh, attention. It's what caught uh, Volvo's attention because Volvo just released a commercial for, uh, for a car. And for the first time in history, they, they created a TV commercial using all video game footage from this game called Rally Sports. So they heard the song that was in the game, and they're like, we want to use it. So they paid, like, tons of money to license <laughs> that song at the same time Microsoft came by. It's like, this is it. They like, you know, so it was like this big explosion. Uh, and it's, you know, it's one of those wonderful, rare success stories where you have this desperate idea. It's got to work. And if it doesn't, you're screwed. <laughs> Well, you know, you you say you say uh, you know these rare success stories, but you're talented, and so that I think aids to it a little bit. <laughs> it's not thank like you. I appreciate that, uh, Brian. But you know, uh, talent is a dime a dozen. Uh, right. Everybody has talent, so talent is cheap. Um, it's really execution. It's it's really um, you might say preparation, and you know they say luck, right? Luck is a big part. Well. I like the saying that luck is is basically when preparation meets opportunity, you know, when the planets align, when those things line up and you get that chance and you're prepared, then you get lucky, you know? You know, this is this is actually really perfect timing because something we've really been talking a lot about on our show is we often interview composers who were sort of there in the early days, 80s and 90s, and then a lot of folks that are doing indie games. You were sort of right there as everything was changing the, the music yeah. industry the games industry yes you were sort of at the tail end of the like the end of the old one and sort of the start of the new one yeah so it's going to be really interesting to hear how you've navigated that i mean you have this very long history in music and you mentioned that you used to work more in the pop industry so tell us a little bit about how you got started in music before you got into games 
Oh, goodness gracious. Well, uh, sure. Um, sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay. A long time ago. Uh, so my first foray into professional music came right out of pretty much the first year of college. Um, and I had this wonderful opportunity, uh, lucky kind of, again, that word, uh, I met the music director for Bobby Brown in 1990. Now that name might not ring a bell for people below a certain age, but in his day, he was literally the king of R&B. There was Michael Jackson, which was the king of pop and Bobby Brown was the king of R&B. And so, you know, think of someone today, Bruno Mars, um, you know, whatever, like that big name who's doing the funkiest mm-hmm. music. Anyway, so I had this opportunity to go on tour with him because I impressed the music director at the right time and the right place uh, with the way that I kind of knew my way around synths and computers with music stuff. So that was a, like a wonderful, like eye-opening experience for this 21-year-old to travel the world, 20-year-old, sorry, to travel the world <laughs> and, uh, get you know, meet people of that caliber. Uh, it taught me so many things, um, but one of the things it also reminded me and taught me is that no, even though this was a wonderful, like, who doesn't want to have that life, right? Traveling around and, you know, the superstardom and the, and the fame and the girls and the crowd, just being in that environment, it's electric. But it kind of got old for me after a while, and I realized, okay, I'm, what I really want to do is be a producer, Mm-hmm. What I really want to do is I want to be like, you know, Jimmy Jam. I want to be like Trevor Horn. I want to be, you know, like uh, Mutt Lang. I want to be like these producers who I was listening to on the radio, the Quincy Jones, you know, that kind of thing. I want to be in a studio. I want to make music. I want to work with big, famous artists and what have you. So that was my pursuit. That was my obsession and my ambition and my focus. So for 15 years, that's where my boat was was aimed. And that took me on a wild Forrest Gump journey uh, where I worked with so many different artists. And I, you know, I worked as a songwriter and a programmer and a producer. I worked on everything from hip hop to classical to jazz to rock to hard rock to death metal to everything in between. So I I had a huge uh, vocabulary of music by the time I got to 2001. And that's, you know, that was my intro into the music business. Um, so when I hit the game industry, you know, I was already, I wasn't like this kid out of school. I was, you know, I knew how to like make an album from scratch on my own. You had chops. You had chops already. Right, right, exactly. So that, that helped me, uh, hit the ground running, so to speak. What an impressive, incredible story. Like not a lot of people had that opportunity. One of our, uh, good friends and listeners, um, Ed, uh, he's, a Connecticut native and wanted to know if there's any concerts or venues that had a big impact on you kind of growing up and in your music. Basically, what is it that made you decide that I want to become one of these producers? (laughs) Yeah, right. Well, I'll I'll tell you, it's a good question. I'm one of those rare, weird people that I didn't really go to concerts when I was growing up. All my friends did, uh, but I didn't go to conference. I don't know why. Um, I didn't have an opportunity. I, I don't know why. I don't know why I just didn't have, but I've, what I was obsessing about musically was I came on the scene when a lot of the new wave, you know, synth pop groups showed up, you know? So if I go through my vinyl collection, 
uh, back in the early days when I was in high school, you know, coming out of grammar school, high school, you know, those prime years where you're influenced to your core. Um, you know, I was hearing everything from my older brothers from Pink Floyd and, and Led Zeppelin, right? <laughs> so I was hearing 70s music, you know, and then I was hearing Madonna and I was hearing, you know, Yaz and Depeche Mode and New Order and Ministry and, you know, and then all the pop groups and Duran Duran and you know, dead or alive. I'm just trying to think of random album <laughs> covers, you know, as I go through the vinyl. Um, but dispersed through those album covers, which is really interesting, was my obsession for some of my favorite movie music at the time, which most of them, most of them, uh, was John Williams. And mm. uh, so I had the album, and I still do. I can go run and get it, but this is a podcast, so no one will appreciate it. But I have, <laughs> you know, the album, the vinyl of Raiders of the Lost Ark, E.T., Star Wars, all of them. Wow. Um, That's awesome. You know, um, Back to the Future, Alan Silvestri. A legend. Um, Tron, you know, so interdispersed with, with all the pop music and the stuff that everybody else is listening to. Um and I listened to jazz fusion because, you know, I had friends all over the place. I remember my freshman year. This should tell you my freshman year talent show. All right. The new <laughs> kid on the block, little geeky, nerdy kid with all the synthesizer stuff. I remember I played for the talent show, a medley, way too long. I'm like cringing now when I listen to the thing <laughs> on the cassette. But I had like listened to this eclectic list, if I can remember it. I think I started with Peter Gunn, which was inspired by ELP. <laughs> you know, then I went into like, I don't know the order, but Patrick O'Hearn, which is like this, you know, he came, he was like doing like this new age kind of music. Uh, Madonna. Uh, I had some, um, not Taylor Dane. Oh, maybe I did. Maybe I had like Taylor Dane, which is, you know, pop music. I had some other <laughs> random dance music in there, which was big at the time. Uh, I had like, it was, it was kind of, oh, I had Inspector Gadget. You mean like the themes and, you know, like whatever. <laughs> so it was like. How have we not had you on sooner? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I had individual choice by uh, Jean Lupanti, who's a, an electric violinist. So like my musical vocabulary was inspired from so many different places. And I think that's why when you listen to my music, you might say like, where did this come from? This is out of left field. That doesn't sound anything like this. You know, it's because I did not have this one track mind when it came to music. Music for me was like this wild adventure. That's, it, that's you've awesome. got to be in the games industry because you never know what you're going to be working on the next. And uh, actually, let's get into our next track. This is from one of your earlier games. This is Angel's Heaven from the game Red Steel on the Wii, composed by Tom Salta.
All right, that was Angel's Heaven, composed by Tom Salta for Red Steel on the Wii. What was it like working on some of these early game projects for you? Red Steel was really so much fun. I mean, at the time, it was this frantic, exciting, and scary score because it had to be done so quickly. But what was really unique about it um, you know, and the music director that I work with was, I just love working with him, you know, and he's one of my favorite music directors that I've worked with for over a decade. You know, we've worked on so many titles together, so he knew what I could do. And those were the early days. Um, so it, it was crazy, but like every map and what I say by a map is like mm -hmm. angels, angels, uh, heaven, uh, mm -hmm. was a map. In other words, it had like the soft, ex you know, exploration music, and then it had the fight music. Every mm -hmm. one had to be done in two days. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> right? Reminds me of the album, right? So um, it's not typically like that. That's why they but picked it, you. It did force me to just, like, go for it and not overanalyze and question. So, you know, that was since kind of flowing out. And, you know, he, he it was interesting, though, if you listen to that soundtrack, that's one of my favorite soundtracks because it's all over the place. Like, there's it's such a fusion of a unique styles you know, the, the title song sounds nothing like that. I mean, the title song <laughs> is like, uh, you know, Japanese choir, you know, and it, it's got like Led Zeppelin influences in it and, and <laughs> Lily Hayden on violin. It's just, you know, so crazy, um, you know, heavy percussion. Some the soundtrack was all over the place. So and because I wasn't as experienced, it was scary. Because I was always like uh, doubting myself. Okay, can I do this? Am I good enough? Is this gonna suck? You know. How did you How did you get this 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 gig to begin with? Yeah. So Red Steel was an interesting situation. Um, I had previous experience working with the music director for the project. Uh, in fact, I worked with him on Cold Fear and Ghost Recon Advanced Warfighter. If I got the the timeline correct. And so he knew I could do this and he wanted to work with me, but he still had to run it by the folks at Nintendo in Japan. Mm. So the audition, as it were, was him giving me this crazy pitch to do, uh, which included a Japanese choir, um, kind of like uh, Ghosts in the Shell, where, I mean, they're singing in Ooh, Japanese. A... It sounds like old world, like, you know, Shogun. <laughs> they don't sing that way. <laughs> today that's like old traditional and um so i mean you know he's like how familiar are you with japanese music and you know I'm, and i learned from my early experience in my career you never say no you, no, you I always yeah. say yeah <laughs> you know like ghostbusters when someone asks you if you are a god you say yes <laughs> Just frantically Google searching what a Japanese <laughs> choir sound like <laughs> please please do that one anyway so i'm like of course so uh, after I get off the phone, I'm like panicked and I'm, you know, I literally called the Japanese embassy in New York. Say, do you have any musicians there? <laughs> you know, hot, running around. Anyway, so surely, sure enough, uh, they did connect me with some arts uh, resources and um, I was able to uh, find some unique uh, singers, actually opera singers, and, who happened to be Japanese. And... So I'll, I'll give you the, the short version. It, it was a bumpy road, uh, but by the time I finished the theme uh, with the choir and everything, um, Ubisoft played it for Nintendo, 
And they said, oh, what, that, that's a Japanese composer, right? Who did you get? <laughs> <laughs> so they said, yeah, no, he's not Japanese. So uh, that it was really uh, exciting and unique. And I was thrilled that Japanese, you know, Nintendo thought that uh, the composer that's a was huge Japanese. compliment. That's yeah, yeah that's authentic. a huge compliment. <laughs> you know, it was. I mean, it was a huge compliment because I really kind of studied and like really tried to make it authentic as possible. Um, awesome. And that was that was great. I remember that year. I I I kind of brag and cringe at the same time that um, Red Steel score was voted the best score on the Wii next to Zelda: The Twilight Princess, I believe. Oh I man! Like, oh that my! Was, you know, <laughs> I was like, ah, oh, yay! Yeah. Like I felt some like someone's going to kill me. So um, <laughs> anyway, the game received very mixed or low reviews, but the music uh, seemed <laughs> to get. Get a good response. So that was an exciting project. Awesome. Let's get into our next track here uh, since we have uh, a lot of music to go. And um, actually, I wanted to get your pick. So Dean and I had picked out two different tracks here. We weren't sure which one we were going to play because we like them both. But uh, given the amount of time that we have, we can only pick one. So we either have Artemis uh, Ascendance from Hawks or we have the main theme from um, Graw 2. Which one could we play? So, so. Such a tough one because one is bombastic and raw, and then you know one is like just. I'll, I'll go with Artemis Ascendance, which is which is a little bit more like I just want to keep listening to it because it just takes you somewhere, awesome, and it feels like you are ascending in a very peaceful <laughs> way above the clouds. Awesome. So you heard it. This is Artemis Ascendance from Hawks, composed by Tom Salta.
That was Artemis Ascendance from Tom Clancy's Hawks. And I played a lot of Metal Gear growing up, so this fits right in there in that like bombastic military themes. I love it. Love it a lot. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> what uh, what was the approach like for games, um, these kind of games, like like military games or like Advanced Warfare, the Tom Clancy stuff, yeah. um, compared to some of your earlier stuff that you had done? Yeah, and, and you worked on quite a lot at this period of time. Yeah. Yes, that's true. Um, yeah, the approach was interesting. I mean, Hawks was different approach than the Graw series, even though they were very related, um, which was interesting. Ghost Recon, Advanced Warfighter um, 1 and 2 I scored, and I scored Hawks 1 and 2. And Hawks was really meant to be the air support version of the Ghost Recon folks. So I remember in Hawks 2, was it? I, I think it was, that there was a tie-in to the, the storyline of, of Graw. Hmm. Uh, but the studios were different, so all the players involved with the production of that were different. Um, the Gras series was done in Paris, uh, and the Hawk series was done elsewhere. Was it Romania? I forget where it was. But in any case, with Gras, I had an audio director who really kind of knew exactly what he wanted, and Gras was done first. So, you know, I had established the sound of Gras prior to doing Hawks, which was very helpful. And once that was established, when I got called on to Hawks, there was not as much guidance. They kind of said, well, look, you've scored that. We kind of want to take that into the air. But instead of them kind of telling me and giving me reference music and what have you, they literally gave me an Excel spreadsheet with just a list of music. <laughs> <laughs> You've got this, just fill in the blanks. Just here, tension one, two, three, four, five, battle one, two, three, four, five, I'm like, wow, you know, it didn't feel very inspiring. <laughs> so thank God I had done Graw because I'm like, okay, I know the level. I know the immersion fact. I know what is expected. So let me try to get myself in that headspace. Uh, and they didn't even have footage at the time. So I asked them what it would be like. And they basically said, well, you're going to be looking at the back of a plane the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> and it's going to be like constant engine noise. I'm like, okay. So I went on the internet and thank goodness YouTube existed at this time. And I, you know, I started looking up, doing some research and I found some YouTube videos of some other jet fighter game that basically had footage of a jet with you behind it and some engine noise. So I was able to copy that and turn it into a loopable video that I had running on my computer so that when I was making the music, I would sometimes put it up to that and say, is this... First of all, is it cutting through? Does it feel like it fits? Mm. Um, and is it elevating the emotion? Does it feel like, okay, the same image of the same jet with the same engine noise, do I feel now like I'm winning? Do I feel like I'm losing? Do I feel like I'm tense? Do I feel like, you know, and I had to kind of just let the music do all the heavy lifting. I think in a lot of those situations, the music is what carries the the mood across, right? Because that's the only, the only thing that you're going to get. I'd say most of the time it does. Yeah. yeah, it's more than 50% of the experience. If you just play something in sort of silence, right. it, it loses so much impact. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure you've heard it said before, the quote that all composers got to have in their back pocket, which is, you know, Steven Spielberg saying that music and sound represents at least 50% of the entertainment value of all my films. That's like embedded on my forehead. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like the selling point, right? 
So, but that's, it's true, even more so in games, because think about it. I mean, you're looking at a bunch of pixels. Granted, the pixels are way closer together than they were in my day, a la Pac-Man. But, you know, there's still <laughs> pixels and there's still not a real actor that you're looking at. I mean, they, sometimes they really look like it with the motion capture. But the point is, the music really has to breathe life. It's that fairy dust that brings Pinocchio to life. Well put. And um, so that musical, the emotional dimension uh, is carried by the music. And think about it. Think about it. You can be walking down a hallway in the game or the character would be sitting there looking around and you play a whole different thing of music and it's going to change the experience entirely. What, what's going to happen? Where you are? Is this funny? Is this dangerous? Is this happy? Was there any carryover from... Uh, because Hawks is a game in the Tom Clancy series. It's kind of like a side yeah. game, I guess. Was there carryover in some of the musical kind of motifs nuance, or the, the motifs from the other Ghost Recon games into Hawks? Or Not was it just, much. In fact, okay. I was pushing for it. Uh, okay. And there was one part where literally you were doing air support for, I've, I forgot the character's name, but it was the guy in Ghost Recon, one of the main characters. And so I think wherever it came up, I said, this might be a perfect opportunity to kind of bring in the, dun, dun, bum, bum. you know what I mean? Just to kind of from ghost mm-hmm. recon advanced warfighter to kind of tie it in. Um, so I did, I, I was able to integrate it a little bit, but it was not uh, a, you know, the theme, everything about Hawks is very unique, albeit it has that musical recipe of ghost recon. And it kind of sounds like they're close cousins. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And stylistically, that's yeah, and I mean, that's pretty common. We have It's almost like a separate series, but in the same broader universe. Now, right. there was a question that came from one of our listeners. We may get to it later and can table this, but was there a particular game that stands out as being especially satisfying, memorable? Like, it doesn't have to be like your favorite game ever that you worked on, but something yeah. that you just think about a lot as, as time goes on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you look back at, you know, the pinch me moments, I think probably the biggest pinch me moment or full circle moment was um, being able to work on the Halo anniversary, uh, Combat Evolved anniversary score. Because if you know know my story, Halo was one of the key games. Actually, there's three key games that jump out at me that are the ones that convinced me eventually that I could do video game music for a living. Halo was one of them. Rainbow Six and Prince of Persia, Sands of Time. So... Which is interesting because Rainbow Six was Tom Clancy, Prince of Persia. And so I worked on all three of those franchises, which is really kind of cool. Uh, not Rainbow Six franchise, but Tom Clancy. Sure, right. sure. In yeah. any case. Yeah. So getting a chance to be work recreating the score note for note from the game that, you know, I mean, I remember emailing Marty O'Donnell before I had any credits and saying how big of a fan I was and I'd love to work with him. Um, so through this crazy turn of events a decade later, Marty O'Donnell was not allowed to work on Halo anymore for legal, crazy lawyer stuff. And I had this opportunity to be part of the team. So I was literally recreating the note that I idolized. That's kind of like a aspiring sci-fi director getting a chance to recreate Star Wars Episode Four scene by scene <laughs> with the same actors, you know. Anyway, so... Oh, wow. um, that was a pinch me moment. Also, it didn't hurt that we did it at Skywalker Ranch, you know, which was also a pinch me <laughs> moment. And it didn't hurt also that the night that we recorded a first orchestral session, uh, they played my favorite movie in the universe on 
George Lucas's uh, uh, in his th- private theater called Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, gosh, from the original the film. Classic. Oh, I'm it's, so it's jealous. jealous. Absolutely all time you know, favorites. so that whole thing kind of stood out. That wasn't an original score, obviously, but there were later uh, Halo scores that were original. But that was one that, like, wow, remember that? You know, <laughs> I remember working on that. I remember going, recreating the beat or all the doom, whatever. All those things that I had in my head from when I listened to Halo for the first time in 2001. That's that's incredible, and you know, moving on from the uh, from Red Steel too, another game that you worked on for the Wii. One of the next ones was Prince of Persia: Forgotten Sands. Yeah, uh, we're gonna play a track here called Menagerie of Legends, and we'll be right back. memories so (laughs) it's just so relaxing to listen to i just you know uh in case you couldn't tell by the music i was in love uh with that environment i just wanted to stay there and getting an opportunity to work on prince of persia was literally a dream come true for me literally a dream come true there's a funny story not funny there's a an amazing story actually that came out of um, leading up to me getting Prince of Persia. Five years before I scored Prince of Persia, early in my career, I was walking through San Francisco outside of GDC, dreaming of the day of getting to work on a AAA game and something, you know, Prince of Persia is one of my biggest dreams ever. And I hear walking in the streets and I hear this metallic plucking sound that sounded like what is it? And then it kind of almost <laughs> sounded like bowed metal. I'm like, it's this dreamy, cool thing. What is this? So I remember I'm like walking around. It's echoing off the buildings. And then I finally see it was a street performer. This guy with crazy long hair kind of looked like almost like a homeless guy. He was just kind of not, you know, he was so immersed in his thing. And he just had this. That's San Francisco this, for you. Yeah, San right? Francisco. This weird thing show. that he was playing. It was, it, it, you know, it was like a zither, but it wasn't. And he had these metal things on his fingers that looked like like metal feathers. 
but he was bowing and plucking the strings and I was mesmerized. I was listening to him and I, and his name was Michael Maisley. And I went up to him in between sets and I said, you know what? That was some of the most miraculous thing I've ever heard in my life. I bought his CDs and uh, I said, I just wanted to tell you that if I ever get a chance to score this one game that I'm thinking of right now, which you wouldn't know about, it was Prince of Persia. I said, I'm going to find you and I'm going to hire you to play on it. And uh, long story short, five years later, I got a chance to work on Prince of Persia. <laughs> and uh, I looked up this guy's name and I couldn't quite find him. Uh, and eventually I did. I think I found him. Thank goodness. I think it was at Facebook or something, whatever. I sent him a message. I have no news. You remember me? And he says, sure, I do. You know, and so long story short, all that stuff you hear at the beginning, ding, 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 boom, boom. it's like, no. what is this? Like this metal plucking zither, but not quite. That's Michael. I actually wow. hired him and I brought him into a studio in San Francisco and I recorded him remotely over the internet. Wow. So he was one of the many live instrumentalists that I brought in to bring this unique eclectic tapestry to that score, Prince of Persia, Forgotten Sands, which is one of my favorite. Wow. That's, I love this, this soundtrack. Yeah, me and too. It's really good. I remember when I listened to your TED talk, you talked about this, about this was sort of a, I don't know if it was for you or for the industry at large, but kind of an early experience of remote recording a lot of musicians and bringing everybody together. Nowadays, it's so commonplace. You have people collaborating over YouTube. Yeah, right. But was this the first project that you worked on that had that kind of process? Yep. That's exactly right. This was the first project that had that process. Um, and none of it was, no, I take that back. I was... We had both real-time recording over the internet and remote recording non-real-time, okay? So just to give you a sense of it, and some of these songs, some of this music from that score, you'll hear it all together, like five different people plus myself. So I remember some of the music had um, a wind player from Switzerland. It had a vocalist from Italy, it had uh, Judith Berard, it had um, Azama Lee, who is one of my dream vocalists to work with. She's now a, a dear friend and incredible singer. Um, she was doing some more of the middle, more Middle Eastern authentic sounding stuff. Bashiri Johnson in Brooklyn, who was legendary percussionist who played Whitney Houston <laughs> on tour. <laughs> you know, I knew him from my previous life, for, wow. you know, in, in pop music. Oh my goodness, what, what else? Who am I forgetting? But anyway, that just gives you an idea of, you know, the kind of eclectic, you know, remote recording that was Michael Maisley, of course, you know, and I was able when you listen to some of that music, I mean, there's nothing like it. You have these people from different corners of the world, both literally and musically performing together, you know, and, and it was this wonderful way I was, I, you know, I would hear the opportunity to kind of blend these sounds together. Um, and it just created something that was one of a kind. You know, the shame about this one game and score is that a lot of people don't realize that the same game by the same name, Prince of Persia Forgotten Sands, on the Xbox and the PlayStation have nothing to do with this game. Right. They called it the same, but it's a completely different game, completely different storyline, completely different graphics, completely different score. So if you've played one that, of them, you haven't yeah. played the other one. It's right. a shame. 
Yeah, yeah. And that was still happening a lot in, in this generation. I think it's a little less common these days, but it's something we actually bring up kind of a lot on our shows. I mean, we focus on music, the various versions and variants, and that's that's something that was really interesting. This is a completely unique score. It's fantastic. And it is. <laughs> we're glad that we have you talking about it, but we do need to move on a little bit. So we have a next track from you. This is a little bit out of left field compared to some of the other stuff we've been playing. This is Dagamba from Just Dance 2. That was Dagamba from Just Dance 2, composed by Tom Salta. So what is... This is like a completely different side <laughs> of you here. Like, compared to everything else we've heard, it's more atmospheric. You've got these huge scores for these large games. Now you've got, like, a rhythm game, a music game, a dance game, and wow. <laughs> oh, yeah. I If... <laughs> If you go through my list of Just Dance song original songs, every one of them is like completely different. I mean, there's stuff that sounds like, you know, Japanese television show themes. There's uh, Turkish music. There's Arabic music. I did the main theme of the actual game itself called All You Gotta Do Is Just Dance. Dagamba was my first original song for the game. That's my first foray into the world of Just Dance. Um, and the assignment was, and, and again, it's funny, a little trivia here. The music director for that was the same guy who I worked with on Cold Fear and Graw, <laughs> all right, um, okay. and Red Steel. Good relationship. So he, you know, yeah. so he kind of saw me, he was starting to see me as like, you know, the A-team of composers. Not that I was so good, but that it was like, no matter what kind of style of music it was, 
it was like he would bring me in and would figure it out. And it was, <laughs> so we had a lot of time. So the assignment for that one was we want an African, an authentic African song that sounds like it's being sung from within the village. You know, not like some, you know, pop singer who knows how to speak one of the languages, but like a real like you went into Africa, you recorded it and then you put a dance beat over it. So that tapped right into my experience in the 90s doing dance remixes for Junior Vasquez. And, you know, big artists like so I knew how to do dance remixes. So I'm like, OK, so mm. the hard part was getting the authentic recording. Now, Bashiri Johnson, uh, who I went to, I said, do you know, because uh, he, you know, he's an eclectic percussionist and he knows so many people. He's like, yes, yes. My friend Kamadi Dinazulu, Kamadi Dinazulu, God rest his soul, um, was an amazing musician who was on tour, you know, and he was known, you know, he's literally his African blood royalty in him. So with the name Dinazulu, right? So he had some recordings. I, I called him up and I talked to him. He's like, yeah, man, I have these recordings. He literally went into a village. He was invited in. He had to be invited. And he had a recording wow. of some of the coming of age rituals from the teenage girls. So he had this field recording. And I said, how much can I pay you to have use of it to put it into my this song? You know, so he came up with an arrangement. And he sent me a dat tape and I just started picking little pieces of like it was like whatever. So I took these little bits and pieces like Deep Forest would do. I don't know if you're familiar with Deep Forest, but go back and look that up from the 90s. They they were known for taking like, you know, Aborigine recordings and then putting like modern music to it and the cutting it up into pieces. So I love that kind of stuff. So that's what I did. That is so and, cool. That is, that is that's, really that's cool. even cooler than I mean. It's that a was great cooler song. than expected. <laughs> yeah, like I thought it was like okay, yeah, you had somebody who had a, a great voice, but I would not have expected that story. No, that's out of the that. real deal. Yeah, <laughs> you'll never hear that. That is that was uh, not available anywhere. So yeah, I mean, it gives me so much more appreciation for something like Just Dance because that's not really when I think of Just Dance myself, I'm like, I'm not. It's like I don't pop remixes of songs that I know. You know, like I, I don't look right. too deeply into it. Yeah, but. There's I know some, you, there there's was some, some original music in there. Yeah, yeah. yeah th th they put a lot of heart and soul and, and, and energy into that original music. So I'm 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 thrilled to be a part of that legacy over the years. All right. So Tom, this is a very serious question coming from Jesse. Do you have all of the words of "Dance It Out" burned into your brain? Ah, uh, yes, "Dance It Out." <laughs> that catchy little tune that uh, I released the past year during the pandemic with a music video look it up it's it's a lot of fun yes uh, i do have it burned into my brain because i heard it about two million six hundred thousand ninety two times uh and i'm not going to take everyone's time uh to sing it uh, but i'll give you just the pre-course feel tired just dance it out too wired just dance it out let the music send you up to 11 all you got to do is just dance it out hi <laughs> okay there you go if you want to hear the rest go on to spotify uh, right now or youtube and listen to dance it out by tom salta featuring samama thank you nice uh ending there this I is like what the, everybody comes here for i know and i think that uh you totally sold it too on spotify everything <laughs> love it very cool <laughs> uh I did want to bring up, uh, you know, we, we mentioned several times that you did a TED talk um, yeah. that was just really insightful into your career and your past. Now, I, I know you're talking about a lot here. I did want to just plug that, that we will have a link for it in the show notes um, because there uh, there is some stuff that you you bring up about 
reinventing yourself and having, um, you know, changing stuff that you alluded to, but I think that, um, that Ted talk also drives some of it home. So we will make sure we have a link to that. Now getting over to, uh, 2013, you had a chance to work on a dream series of yours, which was halo Spartan salt. And then later the sequel Spartan strike, we're going to play a track here called onslaught from halo Spartan assault composed by Tom Salta. was Onslaught from Halo Spartan Assault, composed by Tom Salta. So Tom, finally get a chance to work on Halo. <laughs> tell us about it. Wow, right? What a dream come true. That, I have to tell you, that was one of those uh, moments in my life where it's like you have this dream, right? You have this dream for years like, oh, can I please, you know, I was so close. Like, it was it was amazing to work on Halo, like the original recreation, the score. But I'm like, well, I want it back. my own original. That will be like my life would change, you know. <laughs> and when I finally got the opportunity uh, for uh, Spartan Assault, I got it. And I was terrified. <laughs> I was terrified because I felt like I felt like it was like the eye of Sauron of millions of fans which now we're always looking at Marty O'Donnell, and now they're looking at this newbie, this, who's Tom Salta? This imposter, yeah, yeah. But the comments all say, this sounds like Halo. This sounds like perfectly like Halo. So you did it. You nailed it. Oh, (laughs) I got it. You know, and and there's a big choice. There's a big choice to make because it's like, okay, do we recreate the sound? And can I recreate the sound? Can I make it satisfying to me where it's like, okay, I close my eyes, 10 seconds in, this is Halo. That's not necessarily easy to do. Another way to approach Halo, like they did in Halo 5, uh, is, you know, take it in another direction. So you don't even know it's a Halo game if you were to listen to it out of context. <laughs> um, or that was Halo 4, rather. So, um, 
so yeah, so for, for Spartan Assault, needless to say, as you can hear there, you can hear the DNA of the original Halo sound kind of coming through. <laughs> you know, that was the formula of the tribal drums and the, and the ethereal, sacred kind of choir with the, with the suspensions and the way Marty just artfully frames his chords. You know, because I studied it for so long. I mean, think about it. I played every single note, you know, uh, and recreated all the, the synth tracks and listened to every note. So, you know, you start to absorb the personality. And uh, that was one of the tracks uh, that you can clearly hear uh, the the DNA showing. Right. So it's, in, it's interesting because Halo Spartan uh, Assault and Strike were both originally mobile games right and or so like they were kind of smaller side games too yeah right. very much so yeah top down shooters to be exact exactly but shortly after that you got a chance to work on something even bigger which was the master chief collection which included fully remastered soundtrack from halo one and two uh that was just a number of different composers worked on um we're gonna play a track here a uh, a classic video game track this is halo theme gungnir mix featuring steve vai from Halo 2 Anniversary.
That was the Halo-themed Gungner mix featuring Steve Vai, originally composed by Martin O'Donnell and Michael Salvatore, and adapted and orchestrated by Tom Salta, Paul Lipson, Lenny Moore, Brian Trifon, and Brian Lee White from the Halo 2 Anniversary soundtrack. Speaking of getting a chance to, you know, this is an iconic track. The Halo theme is like one of those quintessential video game themes, and now you're working on it. <laughs> yeah, it, that was um, amazing. And just to clarify, um, I was not the only uh, person uh, on that one. Uh, there was a huge team. So you had you had Paul Lipson, you had Lenny Moore, you had Brian White, uh, Brian Trifon. Uh, we had this whole team that we were all working uh, divide and conquer on that. So when you listen to that music, uh, my role in there uh, was all of the all of the percussion, so everything you were hearing, you know, like that right. that kind of baseline of it. That was my role in, in that track. And generally on the whole project, when you listen to all percussion stuff, that's usually me. And uh, that that's one of the few things on the score that wasn't done live. So hmm. oh, really? believe it or not, even though they had the the resources to hire a, a live orchestra at Skywalker Sound, they chose not to bother with um, the percussion because they knew that it wasn't it wouldn't be solved by just hiring you know a timpani player and a bass drum player and stuff. It was better <laughs> for me to kind of go in there and recreate that organic, unique tribal sound, which is a hybrid kind of percussion track, and it wasn't done with live orchestra uh, uh, anyway. So right. Um, you know, being a part of that and having, you know, when you listen to that, that's like the iconic track, right? I mean, that's got it all. That's that's where Marty O'Donnell, you know, Halo 2, they had a big budget and they brought in, you know, the superstar guitar hero, Steve Vai, you know, who we grew right. up with like, oh my God, he's the, if you bow to Steve uh, Vai, exactly. the guitar player, it's kind of like the Eddie Van Halen kind of uh, level of playing. And so to have him do you know to do a solo over the it had it everything that was like woo you know so to be part of that and just hear my part like yeah man I like I like that I like the drum beats I wanted to bring something up since you mentioned it like all the way going back even to your first tracks I've noticed that percussion has been a real core strength of yours I mean you write this great music but like. You started with drum and bass, you had these African rhythms, you were Prince of Persia. It just seems like something you're naturally drawn to. And, and I think it's, for me, something that always stands out in all of your soundtracks is just how crisp and clean and great your percussion sounds and just like the rhythms are fantastic. We were we were literally just talking about this uh, a night or two ago when we were saying uh, to um, the Halo Spartan Assault and Strike stuff because it was even though it was originally designed for the mobile stuff like the percussion is still really good when we we notice a lot of mobile games not not your stuff but like we notice a lot of mobile stuff kind of tapers off a little bit in the percussion line because of the experience you're going to only hear through a small speaker and stuff like that so they bring out the different ranges things like that yeah Yeah, but your your music works so well i mean i tried listening to it through like just like one speaker and 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 <laughs> trying to recreate the experience but it, it sounds so good even in headphones and everything so um we really can appreciate that thank you so much I, I i do appreciate that and you know i credit having a lot of experience uh with knowing how to mix you know when i when i grew up you know the best engineers in the world you'd always hear them learning how to take a mix on the big speakers and they would literally put these little small speakers. It was there's a name for it in the studio, and it was known that they would make it sound good through that little thing. And you 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 don't just 
dummy the mix down to sound good through that. You have to find a way to marry it so it sounds good on everything. And, um, you know, so I took some of that experience with me. Uh, and, you know, those mobile devices, man, those they can do a lot more than most people think. I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty I, I impressive. Know. I mean, yeah, you're not going to hear <laughs> the subs, but you, you can get a sense that this is like banging. So, you know, um, but I did run it through some small speakers and making sure and, you know, roll things off so that I knew that what I put there was going to come through and it would also be satisfying on big speakers too. Awesome. All right. Awesome. So I want to move things along. I feel bad doing this because we're all rushed for time. We're like in the middle of a lunch break, basically. But <laughs> this, So you've worked on so many of these great projects and they keep getting bigger. You worked on Wolfenstein recently, Warface, Player Unknown Battlegrounds. This track I'm super excited to talk about because it's very nostalgic for me and a lot of our listeners. This is from Killer Instinct Season 3. And like this Halo track, I think a lot of our listeners are going to be very familiar with it. This is a collaboration between you and Cell Dweller, and the track is called Enter the Battletoad.
that was Enter the Battletoad, composed by Atlas Plug and Cell Dweller, based on the music originally composed by David Wise, Robin Beanland, and Graham Norgate. And uh, this was a ton of fun to listen to, especially because of the nostalgia factor for one. Yeah. And then just, yeah, just <laughs> you just hear those three notes and you immediately think Battletoads. Right. Right. <laughs> that was a blast. It was a blast. Yeah, that was the first one. That was really um, the first proof of concept track. Um, when I I was honored that Mick Gordon uh, actually suggested me when he couldn't work on Killer Instinct to be the to replace him. I'm like, Mick, what are you crazy? <laughs> like, you know, I mean, Mick is, is awesome, right? I mean, he's just he does that, you know, like no one else uh, that rock thing. So I'm like, okay, cool. Well, I have an idea. Why don't why why don't we bring go back to Atlas Plug and make this more like an artist sound, like an artist oriented thing, and and I'm gonna call upon one of my friends, uh, Clayton, uh, aka Cell Dweller. So I brought him in. I'm like Clayton, man, you want to be involved? This will be a lot of fun if we collaborate together. He's like, yeah, it'll be it'll be great. So Battletoads was the first track that we actually played for Microsoft, and you know they said they wanted it to be like this. You know, battle this, this toad lost in the 80s. Like, what would he be listening to while he was in a fight? You know, and it had like a little 8-bit references. So I'm like, well, if he's listening to something with his headphones on from his walk, and he'd need to listen to Eddie Van Halen. You know? Yeah. So it was kind of like Eddie Van Halen meets, you know, modern, satisfying, crazy drums, you know, meets some 8-bit arcade stuff. And then I brought in my friend St- uh, Steve Wemet who's literally like a guitar hero. I, I worked with him for so many times to do all the crazy Eddie Van Halen solo stuff, you know, like Eruption. You know, like, <laughs> so, yeah, that was, uh, yeah, that was Battletoads. I awesome. love your ability to pull this through line of like all of these influences from various places. Like when yeah. you talk about it, I can totally see how this track even came together, like conceptually. <laughs> and I've noticed that throughout all of the way you've been talking about these tracks. It's really, really fantastic. But yeah, a lot of history to pull from. All right, actually, quick question here. Uh, and this is from Ed. How did you start working with Cell Dweller? So back in around, I'm going to say, what, 2001, 2002, probably. Um, when I created the Atlas Plug project, I had signed with a publisher who happened to also be the publisher of Cell Dweller and, uh, and his manager at the time. So that was how we originally got introduced. And uh, I quickly started paying attention to Clayton's stuff. And, you know, I mean, his stuff was amazing back then as well. And it was a big inspiration for me. A lot of uh, Atlas Plug tracks and for me, a part of the inspiration was some of the Cell Dweller production and just the way he, he did that kind of music. So, um, you know, we originally met that way. I think the first thing that we actually collaborated on was after or while I was doing Ghost Recon Advanced Warfighter, I thought it would be really awesome to create a song like that could be associated with the games. Uh, I tried to sell the idea to Ubisoft. They were not interested. So then, uh, well, then after the game came out, well, after the game came out, I decided, well, let's just do a song anyway, but we won't use the actual brand name or, or anything like that of the game. But we wrote a song called Ghosts, and that was basically uh, something that came out of the sound of Ghost Recon Advanced Warfighter. If you listen to the music, it's it's pretty much tied to my... I guess you'd say a scoring style of the way I approached that particular score. Uh, and it's, you know, melded with Cell Dweller. And the song was so much fun. And it's still, it still holds up. It was a great, great track. That was my first time working with them. 
Awesome. I do want to give a little bit of time for you to talk about this because this is all kind of a lead up to one something you've been working on recently, which you just put together a masterclass for game music composition. Yes. Tell us a little bit about that. Okay. So one of the things I love to do is speak to people. You know, I love to like I'm speaking to you guys. This is a, this is a blast. <laughs> um, I love to speak to, you know, at, at conferences and conventions and universities. And over the years, I've been giving a lot of really meaningful, condensed real world material on how I do what I do and how you can also do it. Um, so I like simplifying things and taking difficult concepts and kind of distilling them down to simple concepts. And I've been doing this for so long. So before the pandemic hit, believe it or not, I had this idea that, well, instead of just being limited to going out to the main universities like UCLA or NYU, where I give a, a workshop every year during the summer, uh, you know, or conferences annually, why don't I put together a video program that people anywhere in the world who are really mm -hmm. committed to doing this can purchase and watch. And I'll just take my experience and a lot of the best talks that I've given and, and create this kind of game music essentials course on how you can do this and everything from literally the creative process to understanding what makes game music different all the way through the business. Because that's one thing, every time I give a, a talk at, at anything, university or, or convention, they're like, no one talks about the business side. Mm -hmm. You know, like in school, you go to school for composition. They don't teach you how to run your own business. They don't teach you how to be a freelancer. They don't teach you the mindset. That's a good point. They, you know, so I wanted to put that in there too. So that was the idea. So I came up with this idea to create this Tom Salter Masterclass series, which is going to be a series of different courses, everything from, you know, how learning your DAW to reverbs to synths to you name it. Uh, but the first complete course that I created was called Game Music Essentials, and that is now live. Anyone in the world can can go to my website, uh, the go to the Masterclass website, and buy it. And it includes crazy discounts to like all this software, which actually will save you more money than it costs to buy the course. You know, <laughs> you get fifty percent off some huge libraries and cost a thousand dollars, which is right there. Um, and it also includes monthly live hangs with, with me and the group of people, students. So I'm literally talking to you and you can ask me questions. So it's it's a really great deal and it's a lot of fun for everybody. Awesome. We'll make sure that we have links and uh, try to promote it on our end as much as we can. And I believe there's a discount code that I'm offering listeners of your podcast too, unique to them. Yes. And that is pixelated50, uh, all one word for 50 bucks off the masterclass pretty awesome yes and we will post that in the show notes if you're at all interested in music production for games it's an amazing resource and definitely worth your time um last order of business here before we wrap up we got a track taking out the show here this is maverick from the game lawbreakers what can you tell us about this before we get out of here wow okay well lawbreakers rest in peace uh was it was it <laughs> an interesting like one year yeah last like a year it's right unfortunate yeah, yeah. no it, it was a lot of fun it, it was like um I got called into that amongst a list of other composers. Oh, like It seemed like it was like this all-star list of composers, so I was really happy to be part of it. They had Jason Graves and Jack Wall and, and a whole bunch of people. I think they even had Mick Gordon in there. And uh, so I was asked to compose a, a piece for several of the characters, and Mavericks was, was one of them. And, and I believe Mavericks was this female faction, you know, and, you know, so they described kind of what they wanted in the sound. So it, it was really definitely a hybrid. I mean, it has this very modern electronica vibe with, with orchestral hybrid stuff, which is something I'm very comfortable doing. Uh, yeah. So there you go. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, Tom, it's 
been a pleasure having you on. It's been so much fun talking to you about you. I mean, like you have this huge span of music that we've kind of covered over. We've glossed over just like I know. The, some, if it, we and had the, three times as much time. I know, and it was so hard for us to pick <laughs> we can out. Do this stuff. again. <laughs> I have a lot Please. of stuff coming out next year. It'll be good to talk about. Awesome. Then we'll definitely hit you up on that because it was so hard. Gene and I started with like. 50 tracks that we we really wanted in the show. I know. I and started then like an hour long that down was like journey. literally like taking out body we'll parts. Just a whole month. Like, <laughs> we'll just do the whole month and we'll go through. No, that's Tom's great. Tom uh, Salt It's been a blast having you on. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Thank you, Brian. And thank you, Gene. It was a pleasure. Awesome. Thank you so much. And uh, this uh, last track here is Maverick composed by Dom Salta. Thank you for listening and we'll see you guys in a few weeks. <laughs>